Well, Acts chapter 12, uh, the title of the sermon is The Word of God Multiplies. But we'll hear Acts chapter 12 first of all before we begin. Acts chapter 12, it says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon 
And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. The title of the sermon this morning is The Word of God Multiplies. And, and this section in Acts chapter 12 um, records for us a, a momentous advance for the gospel of Christ. I mean, don't forget, since the days of the, the resurrection of Jesus and his return to heaven, his ascension, the progress of the gospel has been remarkable. Um, Jesus said it's going to go to the ends of the earth, and now Gentiles are coming into the kingdom of God. This chapter marks uh, really the end of the public record, really, of the apostle Peter. He's going to move to the background in the book of Acts, and a new man, remember who that man is, it's the Apostle Paul will come to the foreground. That, that man who hated the church, Paul, well, Saul of Tarsus as he was known. I mean, his goal in life was to cause havoc in the church. And guess what happened? God converted him and stopped his persecution in the church. But what we're going to learn this morning is that God doesn't simply cause the ceasing of of the enemies of the church by converting every one of them. We, as evangelicals, would, would like that if everyone just got converted, but that's not always the case. So we learn of Peter here, and there's a lot happening in this chapter. But what is preaching? It's to, it's to bring out for us the intended meaning of the text. But it's actually more than that as well. It's actually, to handle the text carefully, is to find out what's the predominant point of the text. What's the predominant point of the text? And what's the predominant point of this text? It's found in chapter 12, verse 24. They've got all these comings and goings, and they're exciting for children. These are lots of exciting things to, for us to be looking at. But the predominant point is this is that despite all that's happening, the Word of God increased and multiplied. And by the Word of God, it's not referring to the Bible. This is not a Gideon society putting Bibles into hotels. This is actually referring to the Word of God as the message of salvation by which we will be saved, which Paul calls in Romans 1, the gospel of God. And this message, it cannot be contained. Why? Because it's not the message of man. It's the message of God. So we've got three headings for us from this text. The first one is straightforward. Uh, it's James is killed. 
James killed. And he actually was one of the apostles. He was the brother of John. James is now killed. Our second heading is Peter imprisoned. Peter imprisoned. And the third heading is Herod killed. Herod killed. But before we begin to find out about Herod, who clearly has got an anger problem, to put it mildly, um, that there's a very important word that we keep finding in the book of Acts. And it's this word, homothumadon. And it's to be of one mind and to be of one accord. And we see that the church, in the midst of all these difficulties, were of one mind. And how did they get to be of one mind? Because they were praying earnestly to the living God. And how we need to see a reviving of the church praying again and calling upon the living God. So let's trust that the Lord will increase our faith, increase our expectation as we look at this passage. Let's go to the first heading then, James killed. Does that, that makes me feel sad even announcing that, does it you? James killed. 12.1, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw it, that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Well, we'll stop there. The opening of this new story, this new narrative, is it's dramatic, isn't it? It's short. It's even shocking that Herod here, he... He starts attacking the church and seeing that it pleases the Jews. He thinks, this is good, I'll have some of this. And, and so we find out that, that James, the brother of John, is lying dead on the ground. He killed him with the sword, and that refers to having his head cut off. How would you feel if you were John, for example? You know, you've given up everything to follow Jesus, and and now your brother, one of the apostles, is no longer an apostle. He's actually now with the Lord. This King Agrippa, uh, he's, well, it's not King Agrippa, he's called, known as King Herod Agrippa I. And he, this Herod here, one of four different Herods, there are different ones in the Gospels, this one reigned from A.D. 41 to 44, and he was raised in Rome, and he was, he was good friends with Caligula. Have you heard of Caligula? I mean, that tells a lot. You know, if you want to know what someone's like, just find out what their friends are like. Find out who they listen to, and find out what books they read, and that will tell you a lot about someone. I can't say who, who Herod Agrippa I listened to, but one of his good friends was Caligula. Uh, who was a wicked emperor. So that's giving us something about this man. Uh, he was the grandson, this Herod, of the, the first Herod in Israel. And remember how godless he was, how he sought to uh, attack and to kill those male babies when Jesus was born. This man comes from a, a line of sin. And the timing of these events here we find is interesting because in 12 and verse 3 what do we learn 
When he, this Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, and this was during the days of unleavened bread. And as we find out in the narrative, this is kind of, this, what he's doing is kind of a rerun of what happened to Jesus. Jesus is now ascended into heaven, and what we find with the killing of James and then the arrest of Peter is we find in the story is that Herod is intending to bring Peter out of jail at the time of the Passover and remember what Pilate did. And he's now seeking to make a name for himself. Except God always has the last word. But what do we, let's come back to James. His real name is Jacob. You say, well, it's not. My Bible says James. Well, it does say James. And, you know, we know of one of our famous kings was called King James. But James is actually here, is actually, James is from the Latin form, from, uh, from France in particular, where Jacob would be known as James. But actually, biblically, this is one of the apostles whose real name was Jacob. And the Dutch Bible and the German Bible, they all have uh, Jacob there. And so he's got this Old Testament name, Jacob. And remember about James or Jacob. Remember how their mother came to Jesus wanting to put a request in. There was ambition there, wasn't there, for James and John. And remember what Jesus said to James and John. He said this to them. The cup that I drink, you will drink. The cup that I drink, Jesus said to them, you will drink. And here we find is that James was given the privilege to drink the cup of martyrdom. And his head was taken off. So we need to be reminded it can be dangerous to be a Christian. It can be dangerous to be a Christian. But there's nothing better than to be a Christian because if your sins are forgiven, those who everyone who lives and believes in Jesus, Jesus says, they will never die. You think, well, hang on. James has now died. Yes, his physical body has died, but he immediately went to be with the Lord. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Because if you believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that though you live, you will die, but you will never die because the power of death is broken upon you. Yes, you will physically die, but you won't die spiritually. You'll go to be with the Lord, and you'll meet James. And James will say to you, where were you from? And you'll say, well, I was from England. Well, tell those English people my real name was Jacob, not James. But uh, the fact is, he's taken to heaven, and Guy Prentice Waters teaches us about this truth, that James is killed, and he teaches us this. No earthly power can stand in the way of Christ's purpose to bring his saving word to the end of the earth. Let me say that one more time. Guy Prentice Waters has a great commentary on the book of Acts. No earthly power can stand in the way of Christ's purpose to bring his saving word to the end of the earth. Do you believe that? Because here we see that James is killed, but we find the end of the chapter, the word of God multiplies. Not 
is just increase, it multiplies. So our first heading is James killed. Our second heading is Peter imprisoned. And we see in verse 4 that Herod had him seized and he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Imagine that, four squads of soldiers. Imagine arresting one person. And, but why does Herod do this? It's because Peter had developed a reputation in the eyes of the world of being an escape artist from prison. Now, we know that he wasn't an escape artist. It was the sovereign hand of God. But here we see Herod, he's, he's, he's edging his bets here, and he's got four squads of soldiers to take care of Peter because Peter had been delivered from prison before. We don't know what he was expecting, but we know it says here that Herod was intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people, the main leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter. What's going to happen? Will Peter now go the same way as James? And the answer is no. God delivers him at this stage. And we need to realize we have to walk by faith, not by sight. That if it means that our head is chopped off, we walk by faith. If God delivers us from the prison, we walk by faith. Either way, we're to look to the Lord. And so we find here in chapter 12 that, that Peter is now in prison. But look at verse 5, a key verse. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer, heartfelt prayer, fervent prayer, zealous prayer. We see the church in the book of Acts were a praying church. Why were they a praying church? And they weren't just simply praying on their own. They were gathering together and calling upon the Lord because of what had happened to Peter. And how we see the importance for to pray for a recovery of this kind of prayer in the church again. Now, sometimes people say, I believe in the power of prayer. Ever heard that phrase? Well, we don't believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of God through prayer. Amen? The power of God through prayer. It's probably a more biblical way of, of thinking. But we see the value of corporate prayer. The church gathered together. And then in verse 6, Herod was about to bring him out that very night on the eve. And, and God outfoxed this fox Herod. God will never be outfoxed by anyone. And we see here from Scripture that the remarkable thing that happens. What happens to Peter? Peter's not really expecting anything. We find he's fast asleep. So Peter, you know, can't take any credit for what happens. He's, he's doing what real men do. They fall asleep. And he's fallen asleep here, not showing what to happen and the angel comes and I love this phrase struck him on the side woke him up and it says furthermore it says the angel said get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands the angel said dress yourself wrap your cloak and he went out followed him not knowing whether this was really a vision or was really real and 
And then they passed the first guard, second guard. They came to an iron gate in the prison. Imagine that. Leading into the city. And it opened for itself. Peter went out into the street, a free man. What, what truth do we get from this, first of all? Yes, it's an exciting story. Peter did not deliver himself. The church are praying, but Peter did not deliver himself. Peter couldn't come out and go back to the church and say, you know what, I was in prison and I set myself free last night. I, uh, I walked past these squads of soldiers. and No, no, no. His testimony was that God delivered him. And it's like a picture of salvation. No human being can ever testify and say, I delivered myself from sin. No, one of our hymns says, Thou must save, and thou alone. But for everyone who comes to know the Lord, there's someone praying somewhere. So the church are praying, Peter's in prison, and it's the Lord who delivers him. And I think about this hymn written by Charles Wesley, which as I was preparing this sermon, I thought I'm sure this hymn must be based on Peter's deliverance. And Charles Wesley applies this to salvation. Remember this hymn? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And Wesley is taking that regarding salvation. But I'm sure he must have been inspired by the picture of Peter being delivered from prison. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Have you risen, gone forth, and followed Jesus? Are you still following Jesus? Because when Peter, who was already a Christian, when he got delivered from prison, it wasn't to a life of ease. It will, it will never be easy all the time as a Christian. And so Peter now is out of prison. What do you think he should do? In verse 12, it says, uh, sorry, verse um, um, 11, when Peter came to himself, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And so he knew that people were praying for him and he knew where they were praying and what house they were gathered to. What would you do if you'd been delivered from prison? So he went to the church. He knocks on the door. What's going to happen? Verse 13. And when he knocked, at the door of the gateway, a servant girl came out. We don't know the name of many people in the Gospels. Remember that Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and, and Jesus said, great is your faith. And we never know her name. But we know this young girl's name, and we'll meet her in heaven. Her name is Rhoda, Rhoda. And she came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. 
Can you imagine that? Peter's here. Peter's here. How does the church respond? It's almost humorous. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And then they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And then it says this. Continued uh, knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. Peter imprisoned. Now Peter delivered. And motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And then he says, go and tell these things to James and to the brothers. Well, we think, hang on a minute, James has been killed. But this is not the same James. It's the James, the brother of the Lord, who's one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And so we praise God that God had already been raising up other leaders, knowing that this James the Apostle will be taken to heaven. And then we find that Peter then went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He had to leave Jerusalem because his life was not safe. Now, our third heading is we've got heading number one, we've got James killed. Heading number two, Peter imprisoned. We could also add Peter delivered from prison. So we see the variety of faith. It was God's will that James, a fellow apostle, he would have his head chopped off and be the first of the apostles to be martyred. But Peter didn't go the same way. And so we're reminded that we mustn't compare ourselves with other Christians. God has a different path for each of us. The third and last heading now is Herod killed. Herod killed. And if we see in verse 20, now Herod was angry. In 12 verse 1, it says, And Herod the king laid violent hands on some. This man is an angry man. He's a wicked man. And he's attacking whoever. He just lashes out. In verse 20, Herod was angry. Who's he going to be angry at now, do you think? The nearest person that can come to him. And it says he was, he was in, sorry, in verse, uh, where's my verse again? Um, now when the day came, I've lost my, my place in the Bible. I'll find it, just a moment. Um, verse 18, now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. So now, all those squads of soldiers, it's your fault. And they're put to death. This man is a tyrant. He's a dictator. And then we find in verse 20 that now, as a different part of the narrative, Herod is now angry. Now he's, he's in a different part. He's not in Jerusalem. He's now angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him and persuaded him. So Herod is now put to death these soldiers and now a different party's moved on and is now in the region of Tyre and Sidon and the people come and ask for peace for him and we find something here that's interesting about this Herod in Proverbs 16 verse 4 it says the Lord has made everything for its purpose 
even the wicked for the day of trouble. Let me read that one more time. Proverbs 16.4 The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And so Herod has been made for the Lord's purpose. And here we see the purpose of the Lord is not easy for us to always discern. But some Christians, they think, well, God raises up good leaders, but bad leaders in a country, we don't submit to them because they're bad. And the Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible says we're to submit to those who are in authority. It's not a pick and mix. And Christians today can treat it like a pick and mix because we live in a democracy. And, uh, but... The Bible says here that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for a day of trouble, and even Herod is there for the Lord's purpose. And so now, Herod, as we come to the close of this sermon, we find something remarkable happens, that he is killed. What happens? On an appointed day, in verse 21, Herod put on his royal robes, he's putting all of his pompous clothes on, he took his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to them, thinking, you know, they're going to have to come and, uh, and suck up to me. I'm, I'm Herod. Well, anyone can think that, but God is always sovereign. Always. He delivered this oration to them and the people were shouting. It sounds like Man United fans, doesn't it? The voice of a God and not of a man. They get a new footballer, Ronaldo, and it's just full of idolatry. The man is a human being, is a sinner. And we find this same nature in sinful men and women today. And so they're flattering uh, Herod, and they're saying the voice of a God and not of a man. And what happens? Herod is killed. He's not interested in quieting down the crowds and giving glory to God. And how sad it is when we see contemporary sports athletes and superstars who quickly receive credit for themselves and don't give glory to God. How about you? Do you give glory to God for everything that happens in your life? Here we find about Herod. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Well, hang on a minute. Most people die and then are buried and then they're eaten by worms. But this man, Herod, he's struck by God and he's eaten by worms and then he dies. And God kills Herod. God removes Herod. And it's a sober warning to us. King Herod goes the way of all of the kings and rulers. They go to the grave. But then we find in verse 23, but the word of God increased and word of God increased and multiplied. James the apostle He's martyred. Peter's thrown into prison and then delivered. This new opponent of the gospel, Herod, he's killed. He's removed by the Lord. There's all kind of drama, but the climax is in verse 23. The word of God. 
the gospel increased and multiplied. And the gospel cannot be suppressed by man because it belongs to the Lord. And this should encourage you and I in the faith this morning. Because as we conclude, the first thing we reminded of is the sovereignty of God in suffering and martyrdom. The sovereignty of God. As we've said, Jacob or James is beheaded, and yet Peter is delivered. We think about Daniel. He's thrown into the lion's den, isn't he? But yet others are given a martyr's crown. Some Christians are fed to the lions, and some are delivered from the lions. Why? It's the sovereignty of God. The Lord is sovereign in every outcome. And then we feel the necessity to bring out from this passage the necessity for the church for fervent and heartfelt prayer. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12 teaches this. We're to pray for laborers who will preach the word with boldness, truth, and liberty. But because we believe in the sovereignty of God, it shouldn't lead to prayerlessness. And the church, by and large, by my understanding, are pretty prayerless in this nation. We heard of a testimony recently of, uh, of a brother who used to go to a church in Rotherham in the 80s, and a hundred people would gather each Saturday night to pray for the Lord's blessing the following day. If we heard of a hundred people gathering to pray for the Lord's blessing, we'd, we'd say today, I think, revival has happened. But what we find is, is just from the 80s to now the 2020s, how much decline has happened. And may we be gripped afresh with the necessity of prayer in our own day. How many buildings do we drive around and we see what was once a place of worship is now a garage. We go to Cornwall, what was once a chapel and the gospel was preached, it's some wealthy man's cottage. Uh, we go to a different place and we find what was once a place of worship is now a mosque, where once the Trinity was proclaimed and believed, it's now a Buddhist center. Well, we know that God doesn't dwell in temples made with man's hands, but surely we as Christians should be provoked to turn to the Lord in fresh, earnest prayer, begging God for his intervention. But our closing message is that the word of God multiplies. And this is chapter 12, and if God permits, we'll get to chapter 13, and we're going to see a change in the direction. The gospel is now going to go out, out, out into the Gentile world. And one of the main leaders is going to be